if there was a book and it took a year to read, seven years to read, a lifetime to read, if there was a book and each page contained centuries, if there was a book and that book was burned over and over and over again, would you read it? I'm Mo Martin, and this is Radio Free Babylonia. Before there was Rabbi Akiva, the student of everyone, the teacher of everyone else, there was just a water carrier, already not a young man, named Akiva. Akiva came to the well and said, but the stone is worn. Akiva, they replied, are you thick-headed? Everyone knows, water wears away stone. Akiva said in astonishment, water is soft and shapes stone, which is hard. How much more so words of learning, which I am told have the strength of iron, will shape my heart, which is soft. That day, Akiva went and sat in the classroom of his youngest son and began to learn the letters of the alphabet. So Akiva, soon to be Rabbi Akiva, started with the alphabet. So why are we starting with Talmud, an arcane and esoteric collection of legal discussions from the first half of the first millennium of the common era? Well, let's answer a question with a question. What do you think of the law? Maybe you think it's a well-oiled machine, taking us steadily towards justice. Maybe you think it's bullying by numbers, the excuses the powerful make up to exploit the powerless. Probably you're somewhere in between. If you're like me, your concept of legal and illegal doesn't map point by point onto your idea of right and wrong. After all, lying isn't great, but I wouldn't have wanted to go to juvie every time I told my mom I'd be home by 10. Likewise, We can all think of governments that have rubber-stamped some atrocity or another. And we muddle through. We live in a world where this is the case, where right and wrong aren't the same as what you do and don't get in trouble for, or what you do and don't get rewarded for. But the rabbis and sages of the Talmud, they're not so blasé. For reasons we'll discuss, and with some major exceptions, they believe the law must reflect the best of us, who we long to be who we are in the eyes of the one who loves us most. Life boils down to love and fear, after all. What promotes love and what defends from fear but justice? So Talmud is the long, messy project of deciding what is just and right, beautiful and true. Whether the Talmud succeeds or not is entirely what we'll be talking about. Who's saying all this? The Talmud is an anonymously written book that has a passion for establishing who said what. So let me establish my credentials. I'm a know-nothing Nick. I'm a nearly grown Jew with an amount of religious knowledge rabbis of the Talmud and pretty much any other era would have found laughable. But here's what I do know. I know how to keep kosher and keep Shabbat, which is why I call myself a religious Jew. I know how to read Hebrew, Aramaic, and parse some parts of Talmud, which is why I call myself a scholar of sorts. 
And I know the world is a less safe space for people who aren't well-off, white, straight, cisgender men like me, which is why I call myself an anti-racist and anti-oppression activist. All these experiences of ignorance, of privilege, and the struggle to understand it, live Jewish religious experience will come into play as you hear mine and others' thoughts in the Talmud. Nothing is a truth with a capital T. It's all going to be sifted through my personal lens and the lenses of my teachers, just like the Talmud, uh, which does take a capital T. The Talmud wins. It crosses and even knots itself over its own narrative. So too will this podcast interrupt itself, raising questions and objections. I love the Talmud and I revere it. It is the hidden heart of Judaism. As a male Jew, I'm also the inheritor of some of the Talmud's worst legacies, primarily sexism and chauvinism. I'm not interested in apologizing for the Talmud's flaws. It's not my place to apologize for these long-dead rabbis, and any apologies I made would be hollow. This podcast, and my Jewish life, is an act of correction. All my knowledge, what little of it there is, is free to people of all genders, all classes, all backgrounds. What Judaism I live, Shabbos, Kashrut, prayer, study, I believe to be the inheritance of all Jews, and I support all efforts to live invested Jewish lives. I can only pray that these efforts make up for the crimes of exclusion perpetrated and perpetuated by the Talmud. But I'm also interested in defending these crimes as vital clues to the workings and demons of the Jewish mind. As we will see, the Talmud has a way of reading where both the reader and the writing is changed. We risk being changed by the dark side of the Talmud, but we may succeed in changing it. What are we talking about when we say the Talmud? First, two stories, and we're going to tell them side by side. And one, there's God, and God's everything you heard and more. Beautiful, kind, loving, just, the works. And God picks one people who are, up until that moment, just people, and this God gives them a book. In the other story, there's a bunch of rich, probably some royal people, and they grow tired of everyone not listening to them, and they write a book. And in our first story, this book that God gives them, it makes them more than just a people. It gives them a path to the divine, a way to communicate always and forever with God, instructions that will allow them to share in God's glory. Or alternatively, the rich or royal people put in all the rules that they've heard throughout the generations with plenty of evidence that they, rich and royal that they are, are the right people to listen to. And in the first story, God holds a mountain over the people's head and says they must accept the book or be crushed by the mountain. Or maybe the people receive the law code and hate it, and it's forced upon them by their kings and popular leadership. And then, over the years, in both stories... Something happens. A love affair begins between the people, who we'll call Jews for a variety of complicated reasons, and the book, which we'll call the Torah. It becomes the strength of the Jews, the thing they consider worth fighting for more than any other. This people, these Jews, they lose all semblance of political self-determination. Eventually, they lose their temple, 
seemingly the most vital mechanism for their relationship with God. And still, they persist in their love of the Torah. And so, in one story, a class of interpreters and wise men rise to leadership, uh, an elite but open meritocracy. In the other story, one day, God comes down and says, Why do you not listen to my words directly anymore? And the rabbis reply, Because the Torah is not in heaven. It lives now on earth, and it is ours. Okay, so, sue me. Here's a more detailed version, a brief but not unclear dualistic history of Jewish texts. On the one side, we have the Talmud's self-definition. The Torah is given at Sinai, by God, through Moses, to the Jewish people. There it splits into the Torah that is written, a static document, which you and I can find today in our local bookstores in a variety of exciting translations, mistranslations, and through various cultural lenses, and into the Torah that is on the mouth. This second, complementary oral Torah is handed down among the leadership of the nation until, at the end of the second century of the Common Era, this oral Torah is written down or memorized in a text called the Mishnah, the recitation. The Mishnah is then expounded upon and questioned, and these questions are themselves codified and expounded on until a whole corpus of literature exists, which we call Gomorrah, the learning. Together, the Mishnah and Gomorrah make up the Talmud, which is a gross oversimplification, but it'll do for now. On the other side, remember, there's, there's two stories here, and they exist side by side, describing the same events. We have what historians have been able to corroborate, establish, and hypothesize independently. Tor is a series of traditions and legal codes that sort of accretes to itself, stabilizing into a generally accepted text sometime around the building of the Second Temple, roughly 400 years before the Common Era. Who writes the Torah? People who can write, or afford the services of those who can, meaning the elite, the rich, the powerful, quite possibly the royal. As this text rises in prominence, a number of methods of its interpretation and application to daily and political life spring up. And the most powerful of these interpretations are the divinely given Jewish right to self-rule in the land of Israel and the temple worship administered under the high priest. There's a slight problem, though, which is namely that the neighboring empires of Assyria, Persia, Egypt, Babylon, Rome, Greece have no particular interest in letting a dinky yet profitable kingdom like Israel rule itself. At the same time, Jews are constantly undermining the authority of the temple by questioning which family should be the head priest, what kind of purification the officiant should go through, and a million other ritual matters. This all ends in tragedy in 70 CE, when the Romans, the most recent big kids on the Middle Eastern bloc, decide they've had enough of Jewish resistance to their rule and destroy the temple. This leaves Jewish religion without a home. And actually, without much of a point, God was supposed to come down to God's house, the temple, every day, collect God's sacrifices, talk to God's priests. In exchange for this intense divine relationship, Jews would always inhabit and rule the city of Jerusalem and all Israel. But now, there's no house of God, no divine connection. Hell, there's, there's barely even a Jerusalem and an Israel. In a few years after 70 CE, the names are changed to Aelia Capitolina and Syria Palestina officially. 
so along came a rabbi. Several rabbis, actually. We don't know who the first rabbi was, but it seems there had always been smart men around who knew their way around the Torah, who could tell you why God would approve or disapprove of how you killed your chicken or who you married. Their authority grows as they gain more respect, first in Israel, sorry, I mean Syria, Palestina, and then eventually in the large, prosperous exile community in Babylon. They solidify power in the normal way, making nice with the elite, but the rabbis also solidify their power unusually by endearing themselves to the fickle hearts of the Jewish people, rich and poor. This may have to do with how little they can make up their minds about anything, giving everyone a choice. The rabbis argue everything. They create a document that records all or most or some of their legal decisions and disagreements, the Mishnah, around 200 CE. They spend the next few hundred years arguing some more and write down those arguments in two separate Talmuds, the Talmud Yerushalmi, the Palestinian Talmud, and the Talmud Bavli, the Babylonian Talmud. We'll be studying the more widely studied Babylonian Talmud for now. In both these stories, Torah begins top-down and ends up being lived, loved, and written by the people it was meant to govern over. Talmud Torah, the study of Torah, and specifically the Talmud, which represents one of Talmud Torah's apexes, is a subversive act. Laws are reinterpreted, refitted, re-understood, renewed, rejuvenated, reversed, and revolutionized. This is a bloodless revolution, but not a nonviolent one. Words are wrenched from their meaning. Views are disenfranchised or condemned. The powerful are toppled and humiliated. Some of this is accomplished by divine and rabbinic fiat, but most of it is patiently, carefully assembled from words. Endless words. And so Talmud might show us a way forward, how to read a world we don't understand and make it into one we do. Or read a world we understand all too well and turn it into the one we desire. episode of Radio Free Babylonia was written and performed by Mo Martin. Our audio engineer was Michael Shane. Special thanks to Sidney Kochman, who provided the music at the top of the episode, and to David Svi Kalman. Radio Free Babylonia was produced and edited by me, Michal Richardson, for Open Quorum, which creates Jewish media for all audiences and is supported by Next and Natan. Check out Open Quorum's other programs at www.openquorum.org. And thanks for listening. Bye.